0: With grappling skills and showbiz razzle-dazzle, the sky was the limit for the Nebraska Tiger Man. Or was it? Today, it's part two of the story of John Pesick.
1: Crazy territory stories,
0: double crosses and swerves, pro wrestling history nerds. You hit the button, you looked on the interwebs, you found us, you love us. I like to think you love us. We love you even though we don't know you. And we're here, you listen to the opening, you listen to the music, you're listening to me talk now. What the fuck am I even rambling about? Who the hell am I? My name is Nick Gossert. I am a pro wrestling promoter. I am a pro wrestling booker. I am occasionally a ring announcer. But more importantly for right now, I am a pro wrestling history nerd and I am joined as always by the, by the, uh, uh, the Dvook to my uh, weird Chinese vampire that does the hopping thing. I can't remember the names of them, but we're going to get esoteric with our monsters because we're a couple of esoteric monsters ourselves. It's Chango Bronson. How's your day going? Get zooks and salutations. Now I'm scanning the internal Rolodex for Ultraman
1: villain references and cross-referencing with Power Rangers. Hello, nerds! Thank you for downloading and hitting the five-star redo like you always do, as we always earn it. Because you don't want us to show up at your work, do you, nerds? No, no! Five-star
0: review, like, follow us on all the things, and... We're here for a capital part two. Because little known fact, if you listen to us on iTunes and you don't leave us a five-star review, we will now go to where you work and we will get one of those envelopes that the the, the, the uh, like meter maid uses to give you a ticket and we will put it under your windshield wiper so you're going to come out, think you have a ticket and you're going to be sad for a few minutes and then you'll remember, it's us who did that to you. We took you on that emotional journey. And speaking of emotional journeys, we've got one tonight. We're here for part two, talking about... John Pesick, and his story was just so wild, so fun, Uh, near riots breaking out with referees trying to uh, fix the matches, submission holds dislocating shoulders, farm life tragedies, and unfortunately, we were just talking about this a bit ago, that unfortunately Pesic his name doesn't really rhyme with a whole lot, so he's hard to give a proper nickname to. So that's, why I guess, why they went with the Nebraska Tiger Man, even though I was disappointed. I was hoping, like, he got bit by a tiger, so on full moons he turned into an actual Tiger Man. But nothing as ever cool as I want it to be, but this is still pretty cool.
1: Yeah, that is still pretty cool, but that would definitely be more cool but he definitely still earned the moniker of Tiger Man. Oh, yeah. That's I mean, awesome.
0: I mean, yeah, sure. We were hoping for like an altered beast, uh, you know, level up type of thing, but instead we just get cool wrestling stories and I am fine with those. Um, as always, I just wanna give the little disclaimer that sometimes you might read a different version of a story or you might say, hey, Nick, why did you tell the story this way? I heard it this way. And wrestling being mostly an oral tradition combined with sports paper uh, uh, reporting from the day, Makes it sometimes hard to fully put the picture together. So we we do the best we can. A lot of these stories were actually compiled by uh, John Pasick's grandson. So there is some subjectivity there that uh, you know you have to work around. But overall, this is a well documented man, a well documented time, and all these stories, whether they're works, whether they're shoots, or somewhere in between, are just goddamn priceless.
1: Yeah, and I would you know. I would, I would venture to say that while you could argue that it's relatively well documented, we are doing some deep dives and uncovering nuggets of gold and information of the history of this glorious business of pro wrestling that haven't been brought to light very often. And I think we're doing that justice right now here with this part two.
0: Especially when we talk about this period, because we are continuing this very kind of long deep dive we're doing into the pro wrestling world after Frank Gotch and George Hackenschmidt accidentally killed the business. So this is, once again, it's kind of the dark ages, the late antiquity, the early medieval period, however you want to put it and compare it to, but this is just, there's a weird gap here between this and the kind of the Gold Dust Trio era, where... People don't even think what what was there even wrestling for those uh, you know ten fifteen years. Yes, there was, and it was goddamn crazy.
1: Yeah, and that's why it's so cool that we're getting to do these deep dives because basically, we're building up to a point like every single backstory and individual solo movie of all the Avengers characters, building back up to the point where that all kind of reconvenes going into the history that do people that people do know and accept and is sort of like normalized we're like filling in the gap brother and it's pretty awesome to be on the journey on the hippodrome express beep beep
0: and where we left off last time you know Pesic had built himself up to you know be a very serious contender he was starting to take off the big names he was starting to put people away he was starting to win the matches that mattered and he was friends and training partners with Joe Stetcher. They came from the same cultural background, they came from the same area, uh, same community, Uh, they trained together, they clearly thought the world of each other, but at a certain point, no matter how tight you are, no matter how tight you are as a training team, eventually the money is going to have to say, you two are going to have to go at it. We see it time and time again, especially in MMA. You know, you have the uh, the Chuck versus Tito's uh, situations. Yep. It's, it's eventually if you have a best friend and that best friend is in your weight division, it doesn't matter what the friendship uh, is. Business dictates you two are going to have to get it on. But... At this time, that was still just the talk in the papers, the talk in the stands. Um, Pesek, John Pesek, had just finished helping Stetcher prepare for his match against Charlie Peters. And there is a big upside of having your training partner be a potential opponent because you see everything they've got. They, there's, it's, hard, it's, it's hard to know somebody that well and be surprised by anything they do. The downside is that whole killer instinct is, Thing when it's uh, your friend on the other side of the ring.
1: Yeah, and the, the other downside is on those areas where you do know their game perfectly well and you know that they can beat your ass in that particular aspect of the fight. And that can get in your head, like going back to the Tito and Chuck thing. Tito knew psychologically the number of rounds to nothing that Chuck had schooled him in stand-up sparring. And that was absolutely a factor that played into the way that that fight played out when you have a training partner you have an intimate knowledge of what you can beat them at and what they can beat you at and that often has so much deeper ripple effects in the way that the fight plays out.
0: Yeah, and and we would see things like this be near misses. Like I was I've been watching a lot of uh, old uh, Pride MMA fights and watching especially the tournament in 2005 they did where you would have two or three people from the same camps in the tournament. Fortunately yeah. there was never really a point where you know, you Wanderlei know, had to fight Shogun or yeah. that Noguera had to fight Arona, but that was a possibility. You do have to, at some point, put that aside and say, well, for for the next 20 minutes, friends off, we'll get back to business, uh, you know, get back to friendship once this is over. But that was a very big risk with this type of business, even in those days. So. Stetcher was all prepped for his match against Charlie Peters. Uh, Pesic was there, and this all took. This all went down in Omaha. So let's kind of set the uh, the stage. So in Omaha, uh, Pesic made his Omaha debut, and he made it against Jim Londo's, and it ended in a draw. Jim Londo's another big name from this period, uh, Greek wrestler, one of the first like body guys that uh, you know showed up with his six pack abs and a weightlifter physique that made all the girls a little moist down under. And they went out and they had their draw. And two months later, Londos and Pesek would have a rematch at the Hostetler Opera House where Londos was DQ'd after half an hour because he kept throwing elbows at Pesek's fucking head and tried the dreaded Stranglehold, which had recently been banned at all but the worst shows. So he took this guy to a draw, a guy much more experienced, a guy who's a much bigger man, a bigger star, took him to a draw, go back for the rematch, and Londos knew he was in such trouble that he starts throwing fucking elbows. And I don't just say elbows. I say fucking elbows because fucking elbows, man. (laughs)
1: Yeah, elbows are, like, illegal in a lot of, like, striking competition, right? There's a lot of times where elbows are one of the most regulated types of strikes in all of combat sport. And when you're throwing them in a no-striking match, yeah, it's fucking elbows. That's a proper—it showed that, yeah, he knew he was in trouble, so he was going to try to fight dirty— and either get DQ'd, get kicked out of the
0: fight, or hurt this guy and take advantage. Yeah, one of the worst facial injuries I've ever had was uh, from an elbow to the eye, fractured my eye socket real bad, eye swelled shut, I looked like a goddamn monster. Elbows will fuck you up and also really piss you off. And he was also going for the uh, dreaded stranglehold, I'll use that term again because You know that was that was the mat that was Evan Lewis's bread and butter. That was a lot of guys' bread and butter. But as we heard so many times in the late 1800s, that referees just didn't know how to judge it, how to keep an eye on things till people were choked, deeply unconscious. So eventually, this move just had to be taken out. You know, taken out of the equation just for the sake of safety.
1: Well, it it makes sense that he would be exposed to that when somebody's trying to elbow you in the face. You're going to tuck your head, and that is going to expose the sort of standing front guillotine type of uh, neck exposure so I see how that could play out but I mean at least the ref's not on the tank
0: trying to run away with the money this time. This is true. Always looking on the bright side. That's what I like about you. And the crowd went apeshit, which is no surprise. Um, Even though the finish was what it was, the crowd was still behind Pesic. Londos allegedly was heard complaining that he got frustrated because he couldn't throw Pesic while visiting a barber shop. So it's like third-hand game of telephone of somebody being like, oh, I heard this while he was getting a haircut. Who knows if that's true or not, but he got DQ'd, he got frustrated, the uh, crowd was still behind Pesek, even though the ending sucked, the finish sucked, even though it was a legit match, and he, both men moved forward. So, Pesek just continued in 1917, racking up win after win, including a rematch with Manigov, who now had two functioning shoulders again, and one against a mystery man, only referred to as Huffman whoa so yeah it, it was it, like it was all caps hence my my emphasis whoa. it was like in the paper a mystery man so it's it's good that there are still mystery men wandering the earth in 1917. Hello Hoffman yeah it it's funny where it's like it's like I'm a mystery man what's your name Hoffman damn it
1: yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah right that's a very
0: anti-rumple Stiltskin of you. <laughs> And there was an offer to put a match together against Charlie Peters, but the gate split put Slatterly off the deal, with the promoters wanting 50% of the gate for themselves. So they wanted to make a deal where the the promoters would put it together, but they wanted 50% of the money to go to their pocket safely before the wrestlers were even considered. As a promoter, I fully support that idea, but I guess they had other ideas. So Slattery put his attention towards something he knew would draw hot, a rematch against Jack Taylor in Lincoln, Nebraska. Taylor claimed he wanted to beat Pesick on his own turf. Peace or sh piece of shit or not he knew how to hype a match, so this is the guy Jack Taylor who from our last episode we talked about how he uh, more or less uh, you know was just trying to buy him off mid match while the referee was holding all the money hey. so this is a dirty guy, but apparently a big enough star to risk some sort of weirdness again for a rematch
1: Well this guy definitely knows how to like rock the heel life. He went from offering to buy off his man mid-match to having to be escorted out of the building so he didn't get mobbed after the him and the ref were in on the take and now he's calling out the hometown baby face in his home turf. This guy knows how to heal, oh, Danny. Oh, yeah.
0: It's, it's really magical to like be able to have that level of audacity yes. to, to lose the match. He lost the, the handicap match, got caught trying to fix it, uh, and then had to like run out the back, and then to show up and go, you want some more, bitch? Yeah, because this isn't… This isn't
1: <laughs> so, nobody booked this. This is him really doing this in real life and really being this heel piece of shit. It's kind of amazing.
0: Yeah. So obviously, as this match was being put together, there was a lot of discussion about who would referee this time around, and Cy Sherman, sports editor for the Lincoln Star, was given the spot. Unfortunately, John Pesek fractured two bones in his ankle while training one week before the match, and it had to be postponed. Ugh. So it's, it's it's just life. That's the yeah. life of, a, of, a, of an athlete. Is tr- you know everybody you, you know in, in the fight game always says you get hurt worse in training than you do in competition. Yeah, and that's. A perfect a microcosm example of why
1: works became the standard. Because when you have legitimate competition, shit like that happens that you can't control, that will fuck up your whole narrative, fuck up your whole booking, major fight promotion, building up to this big thing, and a week before the fight, it's off. And that's the reality of real
0: fight competition, and it sucks. Oh yeah, I mean, you look at how many times a main event or a definitely far up the card UFC, boxing, uh, you know, type of type of event goes sideways because somebody broke a toe, somebody you know uh, broke a thumb, somebody broke their nose, and now it's completely gone. You know, because again, it's the you know you 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 can't you know you can if you're trying to avoid risk-free combat entertainment, you can't just let the chips fall where they may. Because those chips often fall on, uh, on on a broken butt bone, and then your main event is shot, tickets are refunded. Oh heck! Oh, well, I would I would hope
1: that the hometown boy done good had enough like. Good will and faith built up with the people that they didn't get too pissed at him about getting injured a week before the
0: fight. Oh yeah, and and on top of that, once healed up, Pesic clearly had some aggression to get out of his system. Oh, I bet. (laughs) On January 18th, he beat Jack Rose in two falls, combined 14 minutes, then wrestled three local challengers who he beat in a combined two minutes, then he did a boxing challenge where he KO'd four men. Wait, so he did two falls in 14 minutes, Three open challenges in a row in two minutes.
1: So he t- took out three guys from the crowd and grappling in two minutes, and then he KO'd four
0: guys in in, in with boxing rules. So yeah, so this guy he, he had like yeah. what is there a term for like blue balls but for violence? Like yeah. like he he was so pent up. He's just like I must kill everyone. Dude. I I have I haven't I haven't, I haven't uh, wrecked anybody in the ring in you know however many months it took for this to heal up give me everyone. Startle! Hey, everybody in the building, formal line, single file, (laughs) biggest to smallest, I don't give a shit. We're doing this.
1: Yeah, and this is definitely not the part where his grandson took any liberties with the narrative.
0: (laughs) Possibility there. But no, no, that was all backed up with... uh, No, no, that's bad. Regardless, I don't care if that is the story and it grew, but that's badass, man. Oh, yeah. No, that is... That is is a master who's got some grouchiness that he needs to let loose upon the world. Master Pime just walked
1: into the temple and is about to take it out on the monks.
0: And it gets even better because the next night, not even like 24 hours later, he beat Floyd Foster and Cyclone Mitchell two matches the same night with a combined 21 and a half minutes.
1: Yeah, Cyclone didn't realize he was the second biggest Cyclone he had ever fought in his life.
0: I was about to make the same joke. Yeah, maybe he uh, had some transference, he's like, (laughs) <laughs> he's, he's like, oh, yeah, you're taking on the Cyclone. He's like, the Cyclone? Dream scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've been waiting my whole life for this. <laughs> I must avenge my childhood home against you. But, mister, I'm just the... Shut up.
1: Yeah, it's some water shit. He's like, oh, you took my home away.
0: I'm going to get you. He's like, what are you talking about,
1: man? Oh, my God, dude, I'm just in to wrestle. <laughs>
0: So the, after this this flurry of violence, the rematch with Jack Taylor was rescheduled. But this time, Taylor backed out, claiming he wasn't in the right shape to face Pesic. And if I saw Pesek wrecking that many people in two days, I would have to give a couple of thoughts to it as well myself.
1: Heel life. That was the most heelish way he could have followed up everything else he did. Because the only thing that takes more audacity... Then calling this motherfucker out at this point is then backing off after you watch him take out like an entire room, John Wick style.
0: Oh yeah, like it's like that. Oh man, I'm gonna fuck this dude up. Oh yeah, did you hear what he did over the last two days? Oh what was he training hard? No, he beat he beat a dozen people. Uh, what do you mean he beat a dozen people?
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was like straight. He he basically pulled an Ip Man movie.
0: Yeah, it's it's <laughs> like it's like the scene in uh, Chinese Connection where Bruce Lee goes to the karate dojo and cleans house. You know, if I if I was gonna wrestle a guy who uh, had that, who, and I heard about that, I'd be like, "Oh man, like I think I just sat weird. Like my lower back's feeling kind of weird now." Yeah, especially because he did that
1: training for you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, because you were the guy who got away. But maybe it was a situation where he just didn't feel up to uh, up to it because it did end up happening. Uh, it was delayed, and in the meantime. Various Nebraska cities fought over who would get to host the match. And in the end, the event happened in Grand Island, March 29th, 1918. Boom, it is finally back on. The match was announced as a two-out-of-three match with a two-hour, 20-minute time limit. That's a weird number, but I don't make the rules. And the winner would be declared on points if it went the distance. I wish I knew what the point structure was, but unfortunately, I don't. And, of course, Pesic was aggressive from the start. He caught Taylor with a leg scissor and arm lock. Unfortunately, Pesic re-injured his ankle squeezing the hold and came out into the second with a handicap. So he did manage to turn him, manage to pin him, but he re-fucked up his ankle squeezing the uh, you know his crossed ankles with that uh, with that scissor hold. And uh, how 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 much fun is it to try to wrestle on a bad ankle? It is not fun. Oh yeah, it is. The wheels are the
1: most important part. You know, and your ankle specifically, you can't push off, you can't pivot, and you can't take any force coming into you and like the change of your weight distribution. So we pretty much, what we have here is a Karate Kid situation where we have to get
0: into crane stance. Yeah, I, uh, one time, like an idiot, I was, uh, it was, I was, was a blue belt, uh, two days before a tournament, I, I swept a guy with a monkey flip and tried to roll up to mount. My foot got caught under his body. And I just remember hearing this, like, tearing noise. Mm. Tore a bunch of little, like, the little ligaments. But I woke up. My my foot was swollen, bruised, and I couldn't put any weight on it. But I'm 18 years old. So I go, hand me some tape and Tiger Balm. But this was not the Mr. Miyagi, you know, clap and, and rub. It was just me looking like my foot was stung by a bee with some tape on it. You know, I, the guy, my first match, the guy threw me around like I was nothing because I couldn't stabilize. I couldn't avoid anything. I could barely put weight on the foot. So that's kind of where he was. He won the first match, but then he comes back out, and he was defensive. But he was good defensive. He was able to shrug off and hold Jack Taylor's attempts back at every turn, even the toe holds on the clearly injured ankle that Jack Taylor started hunting for. He did. Fantastic. I know, that's right. He he saw, oh, this guy's got a bad ankle. Well, I know just the move for that.
1: Yes, this guy is definitely done everything on brand to be the biggest dick possible at every single interjection into the story so I'm actually starting to become a bit of a Taylor fan here
0: and yeah exactly like I'm like oh what an awful person what a dick man I wish I would have done that totally (laughs)
1: because now what we have is a situation where one of his pseudo signature holds which is the body scissors is now incapable of being done it's like you just broke Stan Hance's arm and he can't hit you with the lariat so now he's hunting for the ankle lock. That is
0: top shelf heel life villainy. Yeah, because it's, it's if you haven't wrestled or done jiu-jitsu and you have one position that you work really well from, in this case, it's that that scissor hold, which is, once again, it's very similar to a, a back ride or, or a guard with your ankles clasped where you're squeezing the body. And then that's where he would use that, that that is his base to try to grab the arms, try to grab the neck, try to roll them, try to, try to sweep them and now that kind of base offensive move that is his bread and butter is now off the table so he fought defensively but he was still masterful in his defense because this went the time limit it went the two hours 20 minutes and john pesic had done enough to win on points and the audience the one thousand paying audience members went wild for pesic off of his decision victory oh yeah the, the injured baby face
1: victory and he did it the right way. I love the fact that Taylor probably was planning on going after that ankle the whole time off the injury from the training before because clearly he he went he smelled blood in the water and he went for it and that's I love that nasty competitive element to try to beat the superior man and it just the hometown babyface triumphs again daddy.
0: Yeah I mean that's like the reason that Frank Gotch was so hesitant to ever come back from retirement after he broke his ankle because. Inside, he knew if I was going to wrestle a man who came back from a broken ankle and was around 40, I'd be going after that like a motherfucker. So he knew that if you come back from an injury, particularly if it's quickly after an injury or when you're a little bit older, that that bone hasn't set perfectly. So you 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 now have a target painted onto uh, that that wound. So if you got, if the guy's going to be training against you and he knows that's your weak that's your weak point, of course he's going to be going after toe holds.
1: Yep, and that's the that's the the brutal truth of strategic warfare. You go after the weakest point and you exploit any advantage you can. Uh, but it speaks to the level of Pesek because he was able to hold that off and 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 be victorious despite the wounded wheel
0: and this is something I, I kind of realized about halfway through this when I was getting to this point in the research so he's had these huge matches he's a huge star he's a big name of the sport but John Pesek at this point had only wrestled in Nebraska but that was about to change as his manager Martin Slattery had his site fixed on Chicago. There, he paired with Chicago sportsman Larnie Lichtenstein, which is the best name I've ever totally. heard in my life, who was widely credited with discovering Jack Dempsey. So these are some very, very showbiz, you know, good, like good they're good scouts. They, they see a star when they know it. They know how to polish up... The raw material into a jewel that will, you know, ch- that, that will make a ton of money for everyone involved. So now these two very canny showmen are now behind Pesek and wanting to give him the the biggest boost possible. So the two businessmen crafted a plan, sending ads to papers all over the country, demanding matches with, you know, uh, Ed Strangler Lewis, Joe Stetcher, or Vladik Zabisco, offering twenty to fifteen thousand. I said that backwards, but I'm going to stick with it. Even willing to make it winner takes all. One of Slattery's primary targets for a marquee match was Vladik Zabisco at the Nebraska State Fair, but Zabisco's manager Jack Curley had a completely different take on that idea. Jack Curley, what a man! We he's popped in and out of these stories, being a Absolutely fiendishly evil businessman. He's the man who put together the Gotch Hackenschmidt rematch. He's the man who sent Hackenschmidt back over to Europe with 90% of his pay still in Curly's pocket. He's the man who was brought onto the uh, international 1915 tournament in New York to try to make it work for the scene and just let it turn into so- a bunch of hippodrome silliness. This is a man who would, throughout his career, burn bridges, make enemies, and be a very, very very difficult person to work with.
1: Yeah, would you call him the George Washington of the Mount Rushmore of shady promoters? Oh,
0: easily, easily. Yeah, like, I, I, like, based
1: on the stories we've we've uncovered, yeah, I, he, I would he, say he's, he's in that spot for sure. Yeah, he
0: was the first. Like national, I guess he did run uh, boxing matches across the border. So international, untrustworthy Sle- motherfucker.
1: Yes, the sleaziest of yeah, sleazy.
0: Yeah, like I mean, we we talked about him in, going to England and doing the weird work stuff with uh, Zabisco. Like the, the every everything this guy touched could not be trusted, but it did make money. Curly had heard plenty about Pesic but wanted to see him in action for himself. So he arranged a match against one of his other wrestlers, Yusuf Hussein, the terrible Turk, whom Joe Stetcher beat to make himself a star. The match took place at the Lincoln City Auditorium, and luck was not on his side, as John Pesek developed a case of bursitis in his right arm, which is painful as fuck, mm. and couldn't train at all for two weeks before the match. If you don't know what bursitis is, it's when the bursa in your in your shoulder gets inflamed, and it is fucking horrible. I had it in my right shoulder, just um, wore it down from boxing, and for a couple of months, I had to do warm-up stretches before dressing myself because otherwise, I would scream in pain putting on a shirt.
1: Yeah, it's, it's brutal. It's basically, it feels like you have tiny little jacks. You know those things that you throw jacks? It feels like little pieces of bone jacks in your joints, and it's just, it's it's so it's almost like a kidney stone in your shoulders. It's brutal.
0: Yeah, it's it's something because it inflames, it swells, it pushes against all the other complicated yeah, uh, you know totally gears and widgets in your shoulder. I don't know business. how people are made, but yeah, it is. I think it, jacks. Yeah, it's, I think it's full of jacks. I don't. I, I
1: jacks don't, get inflamed. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's
0: not a good time. Yeah, last time I tried to figure out what people are made of, I ended up having to talk to the cops for cutting them open. What a weird thing to say. Moving on. So Hussein and Pesek still decided to go through with this match and the doctor told him to postpone, to put it off, but he didn't want to let down the fans and probably didn't want to lose his momentum or the rewards this match could reap. The audience quickly realized though that Pesic was essentially a one-armed man and had to constantly break his own holds due to lack of strength. So he would be able to get, you know, the grip on the guy, reach around, you know, get his other hand and then but if you only have one arm, you don't have the strength. If you don't yeah. have the strength, you can't close the uh, close the gap. You can't apply your own leverage. So he would get into position, but his shoulder was too fucked to really close it off.
1: Yeah, that sucks. But it was the way that was described. It sounds like it was apparent to the audience, so maybe they can see that. And also, as we discussed before, he knows. If he's getting the upper hand and he just can't finish the deal because he's injured, he knows that both men understand that and that's only gonna motivate him even
0: more. Yeah, so he was fighting the best he could, um, but he did manage to start turning up the gas. Uh, 13 minutes into the match, Pesic escaped a choke by Hussein and was able to go on the offensive. Hussein forced Pesic back into the ropes and ignored the referee's call to break until he awarded the fall to Pesek by forfeiture at the 21 minute mark. Uh, nobody likes to win by forfeit, but everybody still likes to win.
1: Yeah, that's a, you know, that's an early call. I, I, I would say that, you know, the terrible Turk was the victim of some uh, non-home cooking there by the ref.
0: Well, it depends how long it was. Because keep in mind, the rules were, if you're tangled up in the rope, the referee tells you, you know, restarts the matches. You yeah. know, it's very kind of similar to pride in a way, but you okay. turn on your feet. So if you're tangled in the ropes or under the ropes, it's, you stop, you stop, you stop. And, sure. you know, if you don't listen to the referee a couple times in the row, well, guess what? He's going to say, uh, sorry, suck it, you lose. That how terrible
1: of the Turk.
0: Indeed, and in the second fall, the terrible Turk kept pushing the action to the ropes. Twice, Pesek had a scissor hold with one arm in, but Hussein would push himself into the ropes for a break. Pesek was frustrated to the point of dragging his opponent to the center ring his damn self to continue the attack. And in the end the ref disqualified Hussein again for trying to shove Pesic through the ropes. The crowd loved it despite the bullshit. There's a lot of passion, there's a lot of drama. The one-armed wrestler against the vile foreigner and the vile foreigner is cheating left and right and the heroic one-armed babyface is trying to drag things back to the middle. And in the end it was uh you know two straight wins, two straight disqualification wins, but the story was still told. He was the victor. He had his arm raised in victory. I just hope it was his good arm.
1: Well, What do you think? What is it? Where do you smell on your hippodromo meter on that one?
0: It's one of those ones where it feels like you could flip a coin because it has all the all the. All the telltales of a cooked story, where oh my arm's bad, and then this guy's gonna cheat, and there's gonna be a disqualification, which keeps the heel strong, and the you know the heroic moment of trying to drag him back in, where he wins and everybody loves him because he's you know he 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 beat the 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 cheating foreigner with one arm, but the cheating foreigner was only beaten by disqualification, so his viciousness is still uh, you know a, a force to contend with. So and Jack Curley's involved. So this yes. cook, this so. Like, you. Part of me wants to say this was just him overcoming adversity to prove himself in a shoot match, but my carny heart tells me this was Jack Curley making sure he could do business at the highest level before signing any sort of contract.
1: Yes, and I was gonna. I was. I couldn't have said it better myself. And you said it exactly right. My heart wants to believe that it was straight up, but. Tiebreaker goes to Jack Curley being dirty, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with it was a it was a work, old chapter, yeah. probably one one sided work, but a work nonetheless. It,
0: it was something where I feel like the Turk know, was a work. Yeah, the the drama was too high for it to be coincidental, especially in wrestling. And again, the tiebreaker really is Jack Curley being involved.
1: Yes, the dirtiest promoter of all time. And that's saying something.
0: Yeah, because it's it's like we've discussed with the uh, the handicap match gimmick where a lot of times you have to do the showbiz shit to get the real match. Yeah. And that's, that's just how the business was especially at this time. Whether it was a work, whether it was a shoot, it doesn't matter to the audience because the audience cheered. The audience went crazy for Pesic, and everyone agreed that a healthy two-armed pesic would have won easily based on what they saw. And the big matches kept coming with a July 4th encounter in Omaha at the Rourke Ballpark against the Papillon carpenter, Charlie Peters. Peters was another top wrestler of the day, 10 years into his career at this point, with only two losses on his record, both against Joe Stetcher. And Peters had recently spent some time training with Martin Burns to help shore up his defensive grappling. So that's a a heck of a camp to get involved with if you're uh, wanting to make sure your reputation stays intact against this young up-and-comer. And And the park was packed. And by some estimations, 15,000 had been bet on Pesek by the crowd. Unfortunately, it started raining as soon as the match had started and quickly became a downpour and the match had to be postponed. Two days later, a second attempt on July 6th, at the now indoors venue of the Omaha Municipality Auditorium, the two men went after each other aggressively until Peters began to wear down and Pesek secured a headlock that transitioned into a wrist lock that turned Peters' shoulders to the mat. The first fall was finished at 41 minutes, which is a heck of an opening frame. And also, I just have to... Like, I, I wish I knew more information about that day-to-day thing where it's like, oh, we were doing a big outdoor thing. Now it's an indoor thing. Do your tickets, tr- did, did anybody ask for refunds? Did anybody uh, call in sick to work to go to watch the uh, the second attempt and then get caught by their boss at the auditorium who also called in sick to watch the match?
1: Yeah, totally. That definitely throws off the, the rhythm of the thing and why the second day, maybe they tried it the first day and they just didn't have the weather cooperation and then they're like, screw this, let's find an indoor venue.
0: Yeah, because we—that's you know, the risk of the outdoor uh, the outdoor events. You, we, I've had uh, wrestling shows at a at a festival get blown out because a ten minute rainstorm wrecked the place and the ring was soaked through. I remember seeing things like there was a—I think it, it was a cage rage, I believe, where they had it at an outdoor an outdoor event and it was pouring rain, so you could see people like squishing into the into the flooring of the cage during an MMA fight, which I was watching it being like this is dangerous as fuck. What are you? What are you doing? But, you know, you trained, you showed up, you might as well fight. The show must go on, darling, and they did two days later. And the first fall, again, 41 minutes, hell of an opener. And after the 20-minute rest period, they went back at it. The match was stopped after Pesek repeatedly threw Peters through the ropes, not between the ropes, mind you, but into the ropes, and the ropes and the ring post came crashing down with him. The ring had been hastily reassembled once the building had been secured, Peters conceded the match. He probably fell pretty hard, hurt himself, though most of his fans declared Pesek guilty of dirty wrestling. I feel like this is just bad circumstances because they just rushed the ring up, put it up. It was half-assed job. He gets, you know, fucking knocked into a post. The post goes down, takes him with it. He falls, you know, three, four feet onto a, you know, the metal bar that is the ring post.
1: Yeah, that is Bad ass though like I will throw you so hard that I'm gonna literally break the ring with you, that's cool. I would concede uh, victory at that point too. Obviously like that's terrible working conditions and you don't want to be in a ring like that. Oh it's an OSHA violation for sure. Yeah but if if you are gonna break a ring that you're in it, doing it by throwing your opponent into the corner and it breaks the ring, that's pretty badass.
0: And, yeah, there was calls of, oh, it was a dirty move, when it was more an accident. It's just kind of a shit-happened situation, unfortunately. But Peters couldn't continue. Match is over. And after this, Pesek had a little fun at the expense of wrestler Steve Savage. Awesome name, 100% there. Who was working with the Yankee Robinson Circus. Pesek showed up, dressed in overalls and looking like a hick farmer. Yes! When the circus stopped in Kearney. The circus was so confident in their man that they offered $100 to anyone who could hang with Savage for 15 minutes. This man in overalls came up and accepted that challenge. He, he, he uh, Savage, could do nothing with Pesic, who toyed with him and then collected the cash with a smile on his face. He revealed his true identity, and the two became friends, training partners, and wrestled many times over the years. Circus matches became one of Pesek's favorite hustles, as did this kind of scheme, embarrassing circus wrestlers even when his competitive career was over, well into his 50s. Just a guy who loved showing up in a disguise, working a, a circus wrestler and collecting some easy cash, and this is a guy who didn't need that $100. This isn't like he's doing this to feed his family, he's just doing this for the simple joy of outcarneying the carnies, and goddammit, I just love it so much.
1: Dude, if you've learned anything from this show, it's like, what is it? It's don't piss in the wind, don't tug on Superman's cape, and don't accept the challenge accepting from the guy in the crowd in overalls. (laughs) That is like, that's clearly the most dangerous man in the room.
0: Yeah, the, hey, uh, I'm just a simple farmer and I think I could do some wrestling with this, 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 this guy. Why do you have really bad cauliflower ears and a crooked <laughs> nose? Got kicked by a horse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. that is the the, the rustling
1: carny equivalent of a card counter if I ever seen one or heard one, brother.
0: And yeah, and then after this, are you ready for an emotional roller coaster? I hope so. In 1918, Curly finally agreed to a match with Vladek Zabisco, but soon after Zabisco agreed. Zabisco dropped out, claiming he was injured in training and had to drop off, so Ed Strangler Lewis stepped up to fill the spot, even willing to bet $1,000 on himself, pinning Pesek to make it happen. But this was stopped dead when the U.S. Army, who was training Lewis and possibly sending him to France as America entered the Great War, was technically military property at that time and not available. So we had this big match put together, and then it falls apart because Zabisco hurt himself. And then, hey, Ed Strangler Lewis enters the uh, the, the, the the idea. And he's so confident, he'll put money down on it. Oh, well, you got drafted, you're at the local military uh, base, at you're army property, and they're not willing to risk you in a wrestling match. Yeah, that's terrible uh,
1: for the circumstance of the matchup, but that would have been a great like season finale cliffhanger if they had booked that for TV.
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, and, And, you know, Pesek himself, he was really disappointed because he had recently received his own draft papers. But before heading off to basic training, there was time for this match, which didn't happen, the Strangler match that didn't happen. So he moved on to a rematch with Charlie Peters. On Thursday, September 26th, most of the wrestlers on the show did exhibitions to entertain the troops at Fort Omaha. And the next day, Friday, September 27th, at the Omaha Auditorium, Charlie Peters was seeking redemption for the bizarre loss against Pesic. And the main event might have been upstaged by Bird White and his wrestling bear. The bear faced and beat two men that night.
1: Yeah, I uh, hope it was John Brown, our our Um, old friend. Yeah,
0: no, I mean, it wasn't. It was just one of Bird White's bears. But yeah, I feel like he was probably a good bear, but he was no John Brown. Yeah, you know, who is? Shout out to John Brown, the the true goat. Yeah, John Brown just reigning forever down there in bear hell. Yes, the, the
1: greatest bear wrestler of all time. Research it, nerds! It's on a previous episode!
0: <laughs> <laughs> and Pesek and Peters went at each, at each other very hard with no stalling and most of the action on the mat. Thirty minutes in, they were both getting rough to the point that the ref had to give them warnings. 41 minutes into the match, Pesek secured a head scissor and arm lock to win the first fall. So just another one of those weird moments where instead of the body scissor, he had his legs clamped across the head. But you know what, if you're can't, if you trying to push up to get the thighs off around your chin, well, you've now put your wrist right in a position for a key lock, a Kimura, a double wrist lock, whatever you want to call it. And either way, that was fucking that. Yeah and it's a, I imagine it probably had a bit to do with a strategic
1: adaptation. His ankle has been a multiple source of injury for him and he obviously can't lock it up the old way he did so maybe this was a, a you know a
0: old dog learning a new trick. Or it could just be the show off move you accidentally catch somebody with where you know you, you, you trained for a certain way a certain way and then you know you, the one time you actually managed to pull off a go-go plata in an actual competition. Because nobody had seen that yet. Everybody's worrying about the body system. So when you shift it up to the head, it falls into a different trap that you've been pulling off on the white belts or the young trainees. And then you manage to pull it off against a uh, top guy because they've never seen anything like it. So that could also be the possibility. So he got that fall and Peters clearly shot his shot at that point, and he had nothing left to offer. It only took two minutes for Pesic to get a toe hole to close out two straight falls. And yeah, that's that's one where he just he threw everything at the wall, every tool, every bit of energy. And I have a feeling like getting caught in that uh, that scissor, he probably blew a lot of calories, oh, yeah. especially when you are being it's a karate choke. I mean, it really is a karate choke with the legs. It's kind of like fighting your way out of a um, out, out of a triangle choke for three minutes, and the round ends, or you know, or you know, you tap out, but you have to go again. Well, guess what? All that energy you burned and all that oxygen you didn't get is now starting to uh, take its toll.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The hold, uh, any kind of leg scissor hold applied anywhere, has the ability to really wear down whatever it's locked on. And if you're talking about the face and the neck and the head. The, the blood flow disruption that'll really gas you out and obviously he had nothing left when they started that second fall because two minutes means he was pretty much fighting for his life the whole time.
0: Yeah, two minutes is that kind of, I, I kind of picture it as the kind of tired where you're there because you didn't want to just give up on the stool. You're there because you just want to either lose. Um, or, you know, or at least you wanted to, like, if you're, if you're gonna give it up, throw Go out give, on your shield. Yeah, yeah, if you're gonna give up, at least give up out there on the mat, not on your, not on your stool. Yep. So that rematch came and went. Again, he is the victor. And Pesic, well, he thought he was going off to the army. Not the case. His induction to the army was delayed because of the Spanish flu outbreak. His younger brother, Hubert, wasn't as lucky. He had enlisted earlier and was shipped off to France, where he was reported killed in action on the Argonne Front, which was a devastating blow to the Pesic family, as you can imagine.
1: Yes, that really sucks. And it's uh, interesting how the... uh the disease had the effect on the dispersal of talent into the draft for the great war i mean we're talking about world war one so this was some serious shit. everybody probably was going and it's very interesting that his deployment or incorporation into the military was delayed
0: and that's something that they always call it the spanish flu but that was propaganda the real main vector was the midwest and these army camps. So it was, and then they were spreading it to Europe by shipping the soldiers out of there. So they had to kind of almost shut down the supply chain of soldiers from training to Europe because everybody was just getting wrecked by the influenza. And I don't know if you know this, but when you're dead from a weird uh, case of influenza, you don't get to win a war very easily. So he avoided that devastating news when they report that his brother had been killed especially when it's like a big farm family where none of the kids they had the they they were trauma bonded even harder because of the dad being out of the picture and all the kids grew up to be adults which is kind of rare even in that time on a farm so yeah that would be an absolute emotional blow but he was still able to compete. He was still able to move around as a private citizen. And now with time on his hands, Pesic had a grudge match with Steve Savage over the ringer move at the circus. So uh, again, he huh. was they, they set up a grudge match, I'm using quotation marks, to get revenge for the ringer match that uh, he, when he showed up in the overalls. Uh, <laughs> they, but they, this is where you show what kind of honesty they are while being dishonest. They wouldn't allow betting on the match, which feels like, again, the only way an honest man can work a match in those days. Uh, yeah. so, so they're like, oh, we're going to have this grudge match. No betting.
1: Yeah, because I might really get my ass whooped right now. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. I wonder what that conversation initiation was like. It's like, hey, listen. Want to hey. make
0: a few bucks that we don't have to work too hard for because I got an idea.
1: Uh, yeah, I know you just met me and I had overalls and then I kicked your ass but…
0: <laughs> well, like I said, they, they hit it off. They were lifelong friends and training partners so this was a trick they pulled out of the bag constantly. Dude, I love that so much. Can we… Can, we gotta figure out how to do that nowadays. <laughs> oh, no. I would I would 100% go work some of jiu-jitsu tournaments. Yes, show up in overalls. <laughs> I gotta gotta get uh, overalls and a gi. But as much fun as they had with that, a serious match was up next against John Freeberg, the Swedish champion. Uh, This took place at the Omaha Auditorium on May 21st, 1919. Freeberg had a nasty reputation for throwing elbows in matches, splitting lips, breaking noses, and opening cuts. Pesic was unfazed by this reputation. Pesic claimed that he would be delighted if Freeberg resorted to questionable tactics, as that would guarantee the fans there's money's worth. He warned Freeberg that if he wrestled rough, he would need six doctors and a league of nurses after he was done with him. Woo! <laughs> I love that. That's tight. I, I love these old-timey threats because they sound yeah. like they could be delivered while wearing a top hat with a monocle in your eye.
1: Oh, yeah, and that almost makes it scarier and more intimidating. <laughs>
0: Pesig also received an extra boost of motivation when a letter arrived from the War Department informing the family that his brother Hubert had not been killed after all. What? But was gassed and had been in a French hospital for months before being shipped home. So his family was whole again. Pesig was fired up, and he stepped into the ring with Freiberg, who outweighed uh, him by 35 pounds. The first hour, that's right, hour, was fairly even, but then Pesek took over, and at the one hour, 20 minute mark, Pesek secured the toe hold at the end. Freeberg was fo- forced to signal to the referee. He limped to the dressing room, down one fall. Oh yeah, well, that's, uh, it, it makes sense. If somebody has that much of a
1: size advantage, they probably will have that proportionate cardio disadvantage
0: over a long haul like that. And the second fall saw both men bullying each other around the ring, attempting hold after hold with no success. They hit the mat at the nine minute mark with Pesic hunting a toe hold without success. A reversal saw Freeberg nearly catching a wrist lock, but Pesek more or less somersaulted out of it and caught Freeberg in a reverse half Nelson, slowly turned his shoulders to the mat for the win. The second fall was done in 11 minutes and Pesek was the winner. And at this point, there was nowhere for Pesic to go without a crack at one of the big three—Velodex Zabisco, Ed Strangler Lewis, or Joe Stetcher. So I do love that there was like once again a very, you know, outweighed, you know, competitor up against the forward heel who was a cheap shot artist, and then you know these big dramatic threats. I don't feel this one was a work because it was not very dramatic. Yeah. It was just a good, solid wrestling match where the better wrestler beat the heavier wrestler. Yes, he, he implemented the
1: Freeburg rule. It is, <laughs> he
0: didn't allow his man to hit him with
1: the old elbow winger doodle. He was able to negate some of that weight advantage by taking him into deep water and cardio hell.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's if you watch the old MMA days where it's no rounds, no time limits, you would always see the smaller man drag the bigger guy out into exhaustion and then finish him off. And I think that's what we saw tonight. But yeah, now he's, he has nowhere to go but at the the big, you know, the big stars, the big, the big men in the industry. Cleared out the division. And Stetcher was offered the match and a shitload of money to give Pesic that shot, but nothing came of it. This may be because Stetcher was dealing with mental health issues, as we discussed during his episodes, or knowing how tough Pesic was from their training time together, or a combination of both. No matter what the reason, attention was now turned to the reigning world champion, Vladik Zabisco. Joe Curley accepted the offer, Uh-oh. and a match was set for the Stockman's Convention in Gordon, Nebraska, on June 14th, 1919. The Stockman's Convention was a wild three-day festival, Daily ball games, big bands playing, a Native American celebration with cultural demonstrations, and no, those were not the words they used for those. <laughs> but that's how I'm putting it for my own mental well being. Pesic rode a giant float covered with American flags during the parade and gave a speech that nobody could hear because the crowd wouldn't stop cheering. 4,000 fans crammed into a circus tent to watch this huge match finally go down. The other card featured two matches with local wrestlers and a boxing match between six year old twins. Whoa, I bet mean, that was uh, pretty enter- entertaining.
1: Which, which one had their dad in the corner? Chongo, <laughs> <laughs> Chongo digresses. Yeah, so it's, it's like, whichever one of you wins gets the inheritance. Yes, yes, his daddy's favorite and gets dinner tonight. Um, hometown <laughs> Bayface, doing it big, Zabisco. Outside heel, they're going at it in Nebraska. You got Curly involved, so you know there's some shady shit going down. Yeah, and that's
0: that's the that's the X factor where I can't because it's once again this is all perfect drama. It's the American local babyface, this big farm festival. He's on the float, covered with American flags. I'm seeing it like um, Apollo Creed. Oh, straight up, yes. You know, it's exactly the only thing that makes me kind of a little curious about whether it could be worked or not is the fact that Zabisco. He was that old European-style wrestler who did not like doing anything. Worked? Maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't. But it does bear discussion because,
1: <laughs> regardless, it was well promoted though, and the build. If if this was actually a shoot, and the works were helped to help build sort of the steam and the momentum and the prestige and the personalities, it, it worked because you got you got my, you got me titillated,
0: old chap. And Ed Smith, everyone's favorite sports editor and Frank Gotchstan, was the referee. Pesek was accompanied by slattery to a huge roar from the crowd. People then waited for Vladik Zabisco to appear. And waited. And waited. And right as everybody was starting to get pissy about it, finally, Zabisco made his way to the ring with Curly. I don't know if he was being an asshole or a tactical genius asshole but I kind of like this move. Let the babyface go out and get the big pop and then rob them of all the emotional energy before making your entrance.
1: Uh, It's how Miyamoto Masashi would have done it in the book of five rings. Good call. Yes, one of the greatest samurai warriors and swords fighters of all time who had one of the greatest to the death sword duel records. Uh, documented in the history of feudal Japan he actually implemented that strategy to a T, and because it'll throw your man off it'll throw everybody off it'll throw you the the psychology off of the fight and it's a
0: crafty veteran. It really is because yeah you come out you have that big you know coming to America yeah, I, you know, big yeah. moments everybody's all fired up crowds fired up and then you make them wait ten minutes. Oh yeah. Until everybody's just kind of now annoyed and a little agitated totally. and you, you took away their momentum and yep. then you come out you know, I, I, I picture him shooting double birds, but I don't think that would be the case. <laughs> Just proverbially. But this match was finally on. Though at the same height, Zabisco weighed almost 40 pounds more than Pesic. Vladek, much like his brother, not the tallest man, but built like a muscle barrel. So that was a pretty big advantage. And... After 10 minutes of feeling each other out, Sabisco managed to take Pesic down, but Pesic scrambled out of a bad position and nearly got a toehold. They got back to their feet. The crowd, clearly on Pesek's side, was booing Zabisco, who in turn started threatening audience members, which makes it feel very ah. show business, where he's like, "Oh well, you know, eat my old time butt, fair maiden." I don't know how people talked back then, but yeah, that's that's what kind of makes it feel a little showbiz phony. Is when you have the heel to then start like taking time to jaw at the audience.
1: Yeah, that that definitely puts the hippodrome meter and gives it a little spark, you know, on the little on the meter, but it's. It's interesting because he's also he's in true hometown babyface territory here. This man, this is going down in Nebraska. This is the Nebraska Tiger Man's house, and the people are with him.
0: Yeah, and they they were fired up. They're insulting Zabisco. Zabisco's firing back to make it even hotter. the The action started going back and forth with Pesek having to escape a rather dramatic toehold, which kind of makes me feel. Based on the description, that it was maybe not on the up and up, you know, followed by a half-Nelson turn that Zabisco just couldn't quite turn far enough to make it a pin. And after the one-hour mark, Zabisco seemed spent and could only defend Pesic's non-stop attacks. At the two-hour mark, the rules dictated that a single fall would end the match now. Smart idea that I'm sure the crowd appreciated at that point. Zabisco made one desperate takedown. In my mind, I'm picturing something like a Mark Coleman fight from the late 90s and early 2000s where he's gassed out, but you still didn't want to end up under him. And he's just got one last go left in him.
1: Yeah, and that, the, the timing really makes me think that this was, this was a, a, the real deal, man. Because you don't go for two hours by choice. I don't care even if even if you are trying to build a top level opponent they could do a proper work in half the time and I just don't see these two guys being willing to cooperate and if they were willing to cooperate I don't see them going two hours to a draw
0: yeah it it would be a lot to ask of anybody even the betters in the audience members to push it that long because the longer the match goes the longer you have the risk of somebody you know fainting from dehydration, or twisting an ankle, or, you know, all these little X factors. So it does feel like it is more legitimate because of this. So. He went for this big throw, Uh, they scrambled, got back to their feet, and then Pesek lifted and slammed Zabisco like the biggest sack of potatoes on earth and secured a leg scissor and double wrist lock, but used it to turn him for a pin instead of cranking it. A smart move when you don't want to empty your calorie tank, cranking a submission that you may not have on a sweaty, sweaty boy.
1: So he hit the big finish in overtime right after the Iron Man match went after the limit to where it was one fall Now maybe I do smell a little bit of work I don't know this's
0: got a mixed bag I mean they were had been going at it for a while at that point, but yeah it was he got a big throw big dramatic throw got him with the leg scissors got the got the uh, submission got the the double wrist lock, but used it to turn him instead of cranking it for the submission and which is smart. I mean, yeah, no, it makes because, sense. Because yeah, at that point you want to conserve whatever energy you still have, and that's a good and cranking on a submission you don't have is a great way to lose every bit of energy totally. left in your tank. The referee signaled the pin, the match was over, and the crowd went. It was an American, though first-generation, versus a foreigner, a local Midwest boy done good, and a prime example of scientific wrestling taking victory over the bigger, stronger man, a theme replayed in the grappling world time and time again to this day. There were, but unfortunately for him, there were no days off in this business, so Pesek was immediately back to work with circus matches, exhibitions, and county fair matches. So yeah, this was the day where this was your job, so you'd wrestle uh, the biggest match in the world for two hours, and then two days later, you gotta be wrestling in a circus somewhere outside Des Moines or whatever.
1: Yeah, but not much has changed. I, I probably has to keep that pack of
0: overalls with him at all times, old chap. And after all of those tune-ups, he had another match planned against Jim Londos. Which is mostly memorable because it had to be delayed due to the infamous Omaha race riot. A newspaper had it out for the mayor and was sens- sensationalizing, see also lying about, attacks by African Americans on white women. Yeah. Oh my God. That old trick. It ended with violence in the streets, the mayor nearly being killed, a suspect dragged from jail and lynched, the army being deployed, and martial law declared. This was America in late September 1919. Uh, Young Henry Fonda watched this from his father's printing press across the street from the courthouse, and this would influence his social views greatly. And because of the martial law, gatherings of any kind were forbidden, so the Londos match didn't happen until October 10th. Londos was his typical vicious self, throwing elbows and slaps at every juncture until Pesic managed to pin Londos' arms inside a bear hug, lifted him, and slammed him on his head. Londos was KO'd two hours into the match. This was supposed to be a two out of three, but Londos was incapable of continuing, so that was that.
1: <laughs> Londos no moss.
0: Yep, just... Got so sick of his shit, just managed to get that arms in on a on a, on a on a hold. Up and down, and fuck you. And from the audience's perspective, the match ended at 1 a.m., so maybe that was for the best. So Pesek took a nap, got on a train, and headed to Ravina to have another match with Charlie Peters the next goddamn day at a three-day homecoming celebration with other big sports stars, football games, parades, etc., Pesek beat Peters again, then spent the rest of the night dancing at the Opera House party, which is really the benefit of being young, where you can have two long fights in two days and still be willing to go out and party. Totally,
1: that just tells you tells you where he's at on his prime scale, right there. He's still
0: he's still in the peak of ascension, and Pesek continued to rack up wins. Some seem legit mismatches to keep him active. Some obviously works with old friends like with Savage, all while the managing teams worked out a deal to finally make the long-awaited John Pesick vs. Joe Stetcher match happen. Six 1,000 people packed into the Omaha Municipal Auditorium to watch this go down on January 16th, 1920. Gate crashers knocked down a door and flooded in as well. The place was packed, unruly, and ready for action dan destine and his band played before the show destiny was a new orleans born musician and ferocious civil rights activist who had relocated to omaha in 1904 and this place was just a party this place was electric this place was packed probably smelled terrible from the heat who knows ed smith was the referee i wonder how much of his booking status was media cloud versus refereeing skills at this point the opening match was pure showbiz pageantry with men like ed lewis and earl Caddick introduced as well and at 9 30 the main event began with a half hour feeling out process imagine that like. A half-hour feeling out process imagine if like boxing had no rounds and they spent a half hour just testing each other with jabs like how like in today's market in today's non-stop action or else atmosphere I feel like that would get booed immediately but they've been waiting a long time for this the standards were different so take a half hour to get your rhythm boys we're here all night
1: yeah based on the like The length of a standard match at this time, that is a bit of a lengthy filling out process, but I mean, it does make sense, especially if it is an on-the-up-and-up competition, because these are the two best guys. This is the big money fight, and nobody wants to make a mistake. That said, boring as shit.
0: But once the feeling out process was over, it was all out war between the two best wrestlers in the area. Stetcher applied the cool-headed technical strategy he needed to counter Pesick's non-stop aggression. And after two hours and three minutes, Stetcher caught Pesic with a head scissor and double wrist lock to take the first fall. And how many times has Pesek given up a fall in this story? only time was very early in his career when he was working with broken ribs so this wow. had to be a big psychological blow oh, you know yeah. if, if, if all you do is win and then when you don't how do you then come off the stool for the next round
1: yes well you're also you're in there with the very best this is the marquee matchup so you probably the competitor that I have, Sort of gathered the impression that this man is, he's gonna come out and realize, okay, this is it. This is my honorable death, and I'm gonna fucking bring it.
0: And yeah, after the break, Pesic came out very aggressive. He did not have that, you know, that psychological chip. He didn't have that. Oh, boy, now I'm feeling very cautious. He came out like he always came out, and he was aggressive, and he threw Stetcher around the ring. And at the 13-minute mark, Pesek worked his way into a leg, scissors, and single wrist lock of his own. Beautiful. Forcing Stetcher's shoulders to the canvas. The place exploded as the match was now 1-1. Yep. With a 20 minute rest period breaking the action, and maybe in a bit of gamesmanship, Pesic came out early, sat in his corner, and waited for Stescher to finally come out for the third. And this is one of those points where, just because it is two and two, at this level, it is so hard to tell a shoot from a hippodrome like this because, yeah, the dramatic, you know, one, one going into the third type of thing, very dramatic, very cinematic. But, again, how many times do playoffs go to Game 7?
1: Yeah. I mean, if it's booked, it was well-booked, and it was well-executed. If it wasn't, then this is what sport is at its best, these stories. Because he was beaten. That was the first loss of his career, really, you could argue. The first time his shoulders had been pinned to the mat when he's at his best. He now knows, okay, I'm in here with a fellow Highlander, and he responded as champion responded. He turned up the heat. And he got that pin back. That that, that scissor-wristlock combo is both of their signatures. They have both hit it once. It's I, I'm still up in the air as to whether, what, what we are as we go into this final fall.
0: And going into that final fall, they shook hands and the deciding fall began. They hit the mat almost immediately. When back to their feet, Pesic went for a flying scissor hold. Think of it as a very aggressive pulling guard into submission type of move. I mean, it's yeah. a very high-risk you know, high reward maneuver. He was trying to get his signature spot that also is, you know, Stetcher's signature spot, but he went at it trying to like jump, scissor the the torso of the person as uh, as they're tied up. And this definitely put the high risk in the high risk maneuver.
1: Yeah, he's doing flippy shit. I mean, he's doing literal high flying grappling moves. Leaving his feet trying to secure a lock with his legs, that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, so he went for it and Stetcher took advantage of the all-or-nothing nature of the move and Stetcher clamped down on Pesic, Pesic's arms so he couldn't stop him from rolling Pesic over, shoulders to the mat, boom, it was all over. Pesic disputed the call, saying that the referee uh, was a little fast with the call, but it didn't matter. The match was over. The crowd was going wild. And Stetcher had his hand raised in victory. Pesic has tasted his first real defeat. And Stetcher, of course, had nothing but kind words for Pesic. John Pesic is a terrible thing to handle in the ring, he stated. So, yeah, he went for this big, very, very, you know, if you pull it off, you're going to be a god type of move. But Stetcher was able to just base you know you're in a position where your arms are a little bit dangling grab the biceps is kind of how i picture it from behind and just roll them over onto his shoulders the arms are pinned the legs are you know out of the equation nothing you can do sure you can say the ref was a little fast but it doesn't matter it's all over pesic has had his first defeat in a very long time and it was his first clean defeat but was now considered a top wrestler, one of the absolute best in the world, along with Stetcher and Lewis and Zabisco, and he was still hitting his athletic prime. He was only 27 at this time, wow. with a very long career still ahead of him, including his time as the enforcer, or policeman, as they say, to defend the Trust and the gold dust Trio against the independent attempted Trustbusters, which left a trail of broken bodies across the business. Trust me, you'll be hearing that wild story soon enough. So this is like everything that we've talked about in the first two episodes was just the first 10 years of a very long career. This is you know where a guy only starts hitting his prime in his late 20s when you've got that kind of mix of athleticism and seasoning and, and veteran Wiley. And yeah, he, he lost to his friend and it probably seems like it was a legitimate shoot match but it was still his first big loss, but it did cement his status in the wrestling world.
1: Yes, because one, it's his first real loss of his entire career, and he's only 27. And while this is his friend, this is one of the biggest marquee names in the entire sport, and the cream rises to the top. And if your first loss is once you have reached the pinnacle that first that's not a place that's normally going to derail someone psychologically when they had when if that's their first life. like he went he would he got right down to the third fall and what it came down to was we have this term that we teach uh, in jiu-jitsu it's called avoiding the home runner strikeout scenario and what that is is when you put all your eggs in one basket of technique as he did there where if it had executed properly it would have been beautiful but By committing that much to that individual move, by it not working, you basically are guaranteeing yourself a strikeout. And he's only going to get better for it.
0: Yeah, because keep in mind, this isn't you know, modern boxing or anything like that where you fight maybe twice a year and everything's very prepared and like, you know, prepped. These are guys who were wrestling- Every day. Yeah, four or five, you know, you you heard several times where it's like, oh, he had a two hour match against this guy then hopped on a train and went over here and had a two hour match with that guy. And yes, it was probably 50-50 shoots and works. But you still go through a lot of uh, a, a lot of wear and tear even doing the works at that point. So yeah, so a loss here, a loss there. So long as it's a meaningful loss, it still keeps you at the top of the food chain.
1: Yeah, I would argue that you can make an argument that greatness is measured by its contemporaries. One of the biggest arguments against saying Floyd Mayweather Jr. is the greatest boxer of all time is he didn't have a stacked division. To run through he had kind of a weaker era and a weaker division compared to other names that he's compared to and the names that he beat and Great fighters have losses on their record. If he had steamrolled everybody It would have just been like well, he's the best right now, but he's no gotch having someone to make that sort of Hagler Hearns kind of dynamic where fighting is one of those weird things where true greatness can sometimes be shown even more in a loss against another great fighter, and one of those fights is so beautiful, it doesn't really matter who won. And that's like a Forrest Griffin, Stephen Bonner kind of gimmick. And that's kind of what this sounds like to me, man.
0: Oh yeah, nobody really took a step back in the public eye or in the eye of the experts with a, a loss like this. Yeah. Because, you know, again, these are the guys who were, you know, fighting every single night, wrestling every single night, performing every single night. So yeah, when you were at that top level. Losing a two out of three after, you know, a couple hours of grappling against the top guy in the world doesn't really knock you back too far. And it still left him in the mix. It still left him the most dangerous guy in the area in many ways. And it still opened up a lot of opportunities that came to fruition in his future. And we're gonna come back to John Pesek. Don't worry, we're not gonna forget about this guy. But we're gonna move on to another big piece of this puzzle that we're putting together next time when we start talking about. Ed strangler lewis who will be the subject of our next episode as all of these characters get their origins told and come together in this uh rather large story we are telling
1: yeah we're building we're 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 assembling the avengers team going into the the second golden era of pro wrestling in america we are filling in the, the blanks of the dark ages. We are connecting the dots of the storylines.
0: And we are on the Hippodrome Express ride with you, the people. And we are glad to be uh, leading this, uh, this this procession. We're glad you're along for it. Uh, make sure you, you subscribe if you're listening to this on the regular. Make sure you like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Check out the Instagram. I'll post some some silly uh, old-timey articles I find. So, for now, we're calling. We're closing the book on John Pesic. Next time, we're opening the book on Ed Lewis. But for now, and for Chongo Bronson, I'm Nick Gossard. Good night. We'll talk to you next time.
1: Yes, capital journey on the Hippodrome Express. Cut print. Uh, green uh, St. Patty's beer. <laughs>